Welcome to GEMCAST, the Geriatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, where we discuss important topics in the care of older patients in the emergency department. I'm your host, Christina Shenby. GEMCAST is produced with the Geriatric ED Collaborative. You can find more episodes on any podcasting app, and you can find the show notes on the resources page of gedcollaborative.com. Hello, and welcome back to GEMCAST. My name's Christina Shenby. I'm the host of GEMCAST and fellowship trained in geriatric emergency medicine. I am very excited to welcome two new guests today. We have with us the one and only Dr. Don Malady and John Schumacher. Together, they have recently published a book called Creating a Geriatric ED. Don, start us off with where you're from and where you work. Hi, delighted to be on the podcast, which I've been following for years. Yeah, as you say, I'm an emergency physician. I've been working at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, at the University of Toronto, for close to 30 years. And through most of my academic career, have really made improving care of the elderly a main focus. For the last seven years, I've been the director of a fellowship in geriatric emergency medicine. Welcome, Don. And I actually talked to two of your former fellows today, and they told me that that is not only the first, but the only fellowship in the entirety of Canada. So that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. Welcome. John, tell us about where you're from. Sure. Hi. And uh, again, great to be here. I'm John Schumacher. I am a faculty member at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I'm a medical sociologist and have been studying physician patient relationships and interactions for about 25 years. Um, and particularly looking at older adults and physicians in emergency departments and looking at the models of care. So again, great to be here. Thank you. So we have the Don John super team, and we are going to give you the highlights and the lowdown of their new book, Creating a Geriatric ED. So first, why would this even be something that we need to have a book about? And the answer is a lot of different reasons. But first, let's say you are interested, curious about why geriatric EM care is important, or maybe you're interested in creating a geriatric ED, but you find yourself thinking, how do I even get started? What do I do? Don, how can we help individuals and leaders who are in that position? What I find when people are asking me that question is that they never really quite know where to start and they sort of assume that there's a right place to start and a wrong place to start and the message really is and it's the message of this guide is just start it the book is subtitled a practical guide and that's really what this is it is not a highly academic scholarly evidence-based with 3,000 references kind of book it also doesn't cost 250 dollars We wanted to keep it really practical, short, snappy, easy to read, and keep the emphasis on practical. So what are some of the words that you may need to say if you're trying to sell the concept to your manager or an executive at the hospital? Who is the team that you need to assemble? How do you, what are some of the resources that you would use? And we don't just talk about those things. We actually give them to you. So that's the practical part. There's a large appendix, which kind of includes the actual hard copy of many different tools that you need. We include the script for an elevator pitch that you can 
can adjust for your own place, but it, it gives you the words that you can say. So I, I think even for anybody who's thinking that this is a good idea, this will give you a lot of tools and resources to actually get started. I love that. As you know, this topic is near and dear to my heart. And one of the things that I do is help with the geriatric ED accreditation. And this is one of the things that people struggle with. They're dedicated to geriatric care. They know they want to do this, but then they don't know, for example, what protocols should I implement? How do I sell this? So what are some of the ways that this can be valuable to physicians in that position? So this goes back to what I was saying about uh, finding out what you should do first. There's no right thing to do first, as we all know. Anybody who's worked in geriatric ED care knows you just kind of have to jump in and start doing things. But we do make that start doing things a little bit easier. So you know that screening for delirium in an emergency geriatric emergency department is important. But there's a lot of different ways to do that, and a lot of different departments do things differently. So what we've done is sort of summarize the different tools we, that you can use, whether it be the good old trusted CAM or a combination of delirium triage screen plus a B-CAM or the 4AT or the Ottawa 3DY, you know all of them. But not everybody else does. So we collect all of them give you examples of how they could be implemented, and then include the resources in the appendix. We also, something that I like, is that we describe how various hospitals around the United States and around the world have actually done these things. So similarly, assessing frailty is going to be important in the emergency geriatric emergency department. There's a lot of different tools. We put them all together and give them to you. You know that an interdisciplinary team is part is the core part of a geriatric emergency department, but some of our readers might not know who are the important players on a geriatric uh, interdisciplinary team. Who's the most important? Not that anybody is the most important on a team. Uh, and what are the job descriptions for the various people? What roles do they play? We've kind of put those things together and given examples from places where an interdisciplinary team has really been successful. Great examples. So let's say you are convinced that you want to create a geriatric ED, but now you as the physician or nursing champion have to sell the idea. You mentioned giving some elevator pitches and helping give people the wording for how to do that. What are some of your top tips for how to get buy-in from your hospital? So one of the things we asked, for example, is you know, what keeps your hospital CEO up at night? How can a geriatric emergency department solve some of those problems? So, you know, an issue, issue might be excessive low remuneration admissions, and that's keeping them up at night. We suggest that, hey, a geriatric emergency department approach could address that. We also remind you that stories are often more powerful than studies. For example, a lot of hospitals have decided to make a geriatric ED change after a single bad outcome or, or a story to a a prominent person, or even in one case, a relative of the CEO. So the other important thing that we do is we focus on return on investment. And that's important to hospitals. They're important to hospital CEOs. And we also include a reference to a, a return on investment calculator for GEDs that, that have been created. And we want to remind people that the, the important financial benefit of some of these changes, for example, one analysis showed that a GED can represent a savings of about $3,000 per patient to the healthcare system. 
So those types of things really get the attention of the decision makers and CEOs. The return on investment is key. It's really hard in this day and age in healthcare to make changes if it won't at least break even. And that's one of the most common questions I get when I'm at ASAP or other places talking about geriatric EDs is how does this pay for itself? So that part cannot be overstressed. If you could encapsulate it, what is the main message that you want to convey in this work? We keep coming back to this message in various places from the very first paragraph, in fact, that the geriatric emergency department isn't a place, which is the way many people think of it, but it's really an approach and it's a team of people. People tend to think of it as being like the the place where all the mattresses are soft and the lights are low. But really, it's a way of thinking about how can we provide better care to older people and sharing that responsibility uh, around to a team. We tell you how to put into place the processes that make that approach and the people that are going to be on the team and how to change the environment to create the place. So what we call this in the book, the three P's of geriatric emergency department. So people, processes, and the place, which is really the physical environment. The three P's is what we had in mind when we started writing the book. And as we went along, we realized that we had a fourth and even a fifth P. The fourth is all the planning and preparation that goes into creating a geriatric ED. And the fifth P is that this is a purely practical guide to allow you to really start doing things. Well, Don, now I have learned one more thing that we have in common, in addition to geriatric EM, which is that we both love alliteration. The way that I have put this together in the past is staff, systems, and structures. And this is very similar, but it's P's. So I love it. Let's dive into those then. We have people, processes, and place, and then planning or preparation, and then practicality. Let's start with the people. Who are the people that we need to have together, on board, in our team to be successful at geriatric EM care? I'll take that because and point out that we, when we think of the people in the emergency department, we usually think about the patients and the clinicians. We reinforce that you have to think further upstream than that and that a geriatric emergency department needs to have champions, which typically means executive leadership. The folks we don't often see in an emergency department, but control our lives in the emergency department, the famous C-suite, the vice president responsible for patient care. You need to find somebody who is the champion for this change if, um, if change is going to happen. But then, of course, we spend a lot of time thinking about the clinicians who are part of the people part as well. The geriatric ED leader, so likely both a doctor and a nurse, and as well as the other people on the team, the physiotherapists, the occupational therapists, the social worker, the pharmacist, folks who might not be always in your emergency department, but as you're working towards improving care of older people really need to be involved. We know those leaders already exist, but they may not be utilized well and so we give you pointers about how you can identify them, reach out to them, involve them in the work, and also um, things that contrib contribute to their training. We keep reinforcing 
that you're not starting from zero when people see a big daunting task like a geriatric emergency department ahead of them they kind of assume that they they're they're starting from zero in fact we argue that many of the things that you need uh, to create a geriatric emergency department the philosophy the approach and the people already exists and it really is more about reorienting those things which goes back to the financial issue that it may not actually require a whole lot of new money it just may mean spending your money differently. I love that. So we need to identify the people who are already there. We don't necessarily need to hire a whole slew of new people. We're not starting from ground zero. Now, once you've assembled your team, you've identified them, brought them together, started talking about this, then the next step is understanding your processes. How would you recommend or guide people through that process? Well, the second P or processes chapter is actually the largest one in the book because as we said since this is an approach it's really the processes that make up the approach so we've identified 20 different processes that are relevant and we compile examples of all the tools and the workflows that make implementing them possible and possibly even easy uh, I, I already mentioned things like delirium screening. We put together all of the options that you could implement, give you some evidence around them, but also give you some stories about other places that have implemented them and how they did that. Stories are so key, whether it is patient stories or whether it's stories of this is how this other hospital did it. Those go so much further than here's a randomized controlled trial about BCAM and DTS in tandem for delirium versus this other screen. I can't even stress that enough. If you watch most TED Talks or most successful talks, they're basically a few stories strung together tenuously with a piece of data hither, thither, and yon. But it's really about the stories. So we've got our people, we've got our processes. The next P is place. And I love what you said that a geriatric ED is really not just a place, but sometimes there is a place attached to it, but it's not just somewhere where the mattresses are soft and the lights are low. So what do we mean by place? Sure, I can jump in on this. So when we talk about place, it's important to realize we're talking about that a geriatric ED is a regular ED that has made the decision to implement changes. So it doesn't mean that it's a physical space. So you're not necessarily doing a intentional redesign and rebuild, but it's really the, the environment. So we, we give some ideas about how you can actually build, quote unquote, build a GED um, without actually knocking down walls, right? So this, this could be things like walkers, non-slip socks, hearing aids, and importantly, food and, and nutrition. Yes. So it's not truly about the place, but there are some little ways that you can make the place more geriatric friendly. And those are some of the things that you have to have to be accredited as a geriatric ED. So we've got our people, our processes, our place, but let's back up a little bit and talk about why do we even need to worry about creating geriatric EDs? Is this something that should even be on our horizon for the next five years, 10 years? Can this wait another 20 years or is this something we should be thinking about today? Well, one of the things we do include as part of the elevator pitch or selling this concept is a lot of the statistics around population changes and demographics around the world, 
even state by state around the United States. But I think falling back on this idea that, that stories are important, I come up with a story from a recent emergency medicine conference in Canada where my colleague, Adrienne Brousseau, was, was presenting a, um, a talk on frailty, which is kind of a hard sell at, a, at an emergency medicine conference. But she started out her talk by saying to the room of 900 uh, emergency physicians, think back to your last shift. And I want everybody in the room to stand up if on their last shift they put in a chest tube. And as you can imagine, a few out of 900 emergency physicians, a few stood up. Then she said, stand up if you ran a major trauma resuscitation. And well, we are eMERGE doctors, so like a few more people stood up. And then her final request was, would you please stand up if on your last shift you treated a frail, older person who had multiple comorbidities, non-specific symptoms, or difficult to interpret vital signs. Well, you can imagine how many people were on their feet by the end of that. So all 900 emergency physicians see on every shift frail older people. And I think we're all becoming aware that it's time that we need to start doing things differently, not just in our own clinical practice, but really in the way we organize care in the emergency department. And that's really what this book is, uh, uh, allows you to do is a practical guide to get started on making those changes. I love that technique. And I bet that all of our listeners, if you're not driving, would also be standing up at that question. And we talk about things like, oh, the population is aging and we're going to have more older adults. But what that means for us in the ED, at least in the U.S., and I imagine Canada is similar, by 2030, 25% of all ED patients will be over 65. Every other ambulance coming in will be carrying a patient over 65. So if you did not go into emergency medicine to do geriatrics, I have news for you. At least 25% of your job, and probably more, because those patients take more time in the ED, we know, at least 25% of your time, you will be doing geriatric EM. And one of the things that Kevin Bice, who runs the geriatric ED accreditation program, frequently says is if you're not on the bus or driving the bus, you're probably going to get run over by the bus. So it is better to get on this bus, if not start driving this bus in the right direction for your hospital, your ED, your healthcare system now, not 10 years from now. So I love this book. I'm so excited about it. Don, what is your favorite part of the book? If you wanted to share like your highlights to it. Yeah, I think there's a part that, that readers will like as well. And it's my favorite part. And it builds on this whole thing about the importance of stories and real life stories. So we assembled, uh, John and I are the authors. We had tons of collaborators and supporters in creating this. And we assembled stories, real life stories from uh, around the world, uh, all across the United States, also England, Singapore, and Australia. They're great stories about how emergency clinicians, you doctors and mostly nurses, got started from quite simple beginnings and created big success. I'll just drop an important name, and that's Mark Rosenberg, who just happens to be the immediate past president of ASAP. One of these stories is about his getting started at, at their um, large emergency department in Patterson, New Jersey, and how they turned it into an exemplar geriatric emergency department that, that, that provides guidance for us all over the world. But we also have our 
United Kingdom friends talking about how you can integrate a geriatrician. Yeah, one of those people who only see um, healthy people uh, and out, in outpatients. How you can actually bring them into the emergency department and get them working. Our friends in Australia tell us about how in a whole state they created a specialized geriatric emerge nurse role uh, to work in the emergency department. So I like that story of knowing that you're not alone and that there are other people are doing it all over the world. Yes, you are not the one who has to invent the wheel. You are not starting from ground zero and it's more about a concept than it is a place. John, what about you? What are your favorite parts? So I wanted to jump in and tell just one more story about an emergency department physician who came into the emergency department and said, look around your ED. The patients you see today will be the youngest average patient population you will see in your career. So every day forward, your average age of your patients are going to be older. Now that's a, just a powerful image um, to help motivate people. You were asking about what my favorite part of the book is. Well, Don and I wrote uh, a chapter on overcoming resistance, what to do with, yeah, but, dot, dot, dot. So in this area, we walk through some practical ways to respond to this inertia. When people say, hey, we're doing just fine. Here's an answer you can give them. Or we don't have enough money, time, expertise to provide a geriatric emergency department. We say, you know, you can't afford not to do this because your expenses are going to continue and that these are ways to reduce expenses, save your department money, increase the satisfaction of your staff, and these are all good things. So I'm a fan of that chapter about where we really address that resistance that you face when you bring up a new idea. That's great. And that's such a powerful image to think about. And certainly I've had plenty of shifts where I go in and we have three or four patients in their 90s and four or five patients in their 80s. And to think that this is the youngest average age that I will see in the coming decade. And so how do we prepare for that? We know that patients who are older tend to have more complex care, more integrated team care, more diagnostic imaging needs. And so if we're not preparing now, then in five to 10 years, we're going to find ourselves in a very untenable situation. Uh, so Christina, I can tell you're a big fan of the book, as I would expect, as one of the leading exponents of geriatric ED care in the world. So was there anything that you liked in particular about it? I think, Don and John, what you did really well is ask the right questions. Because asking questions unearths gaps in our knowledge or gaps in our processes. So for example, if you are just curious, or maybe you're already, you've drunk the Kool-Aid, you're going down the Jerry ed route, what questions can help you ask of your teams that will bring them along with you? Some of the ones that you included, for example, were what recent cases come to mind involving older patients where the care kind of failed to meet your hospital's mission of excellent care or where there were suboptimal outcomes or where we couldn't really respect patient values or where our care wasn't cost effective. And by asking those questions, then you can unearth the kind of root causes that get down at how can we do better? Or another question that you posed is, what's true about older adults in your ED? And mapping that truth, can you tell me more about that? I love that term, truth mapping your ED. I'll leave that to the sociologist among us. John, it's your term. 
Sure, I can jump in on that. So this question on truth mapping is really what it says. Asking people, having a whiteboard and saying, you know, what's true about older adults in your emergency department? And again, I, I tell the listeners, they can ask this question today, right? They can say, what's true? They may say, well, it's true we have nine patients who are over age 90 right now. It's also true that the ambulances bring a lot of older adults from the nursing homes. It's true that our staff get grumpy. Uh, it's also true that Nancy is really good with older adults. It's also true that when Don's on shift, things seem to go better. So that you, know, you can ask these questions and really get to know what is it about your emergency department? What's true for older adults in your emergency department? And you'll see some patterns there that can be very insightful. I love that idea. And that brings up sometimes what are called bright spots or found prototypes, where we didn't know that Don was prototyping this idea because he was doing things a little bit differently. But then when we look at it, we can say, oh, this is a naturally found prototype. That's from the innovation literature. That leads, us, leads me on to another chapter that I really like, and I think people will find helpful is how can you be more, what are the things that allow you to be more successful with older patients? Really simple things that experienced clinicians, not necessarily people who are focused on geriatric care, but experienced clinicians will know immediately. Slow down, sit down, simplify your language, make sure you include family members, front, front end load your information gathering, reach out to other people involved in the person's care. So these things are bits of truth uh, or bright spots in our own clinical practice. And we put them all together in one place to share with people who may not have adopted them and don't know how much they facilitate clinical care and improve the care for older people. The final question that you pose is that I pulled out are what are the need to haves or the nice to haves? So we could imagine an amazing elaborate geriatric ED where, you know, like Mark Rosenberg, we have a harpist and we have everything perfect and the lighting is amazing and the non-slick socks are so comfy. But those are things that are nice to have. But what do we need to have to really be effective? So Don and John, thank you so much for joining. Some take-home points first. The geriatric ED is not a place, it's an approach, and it's a team. We need to think about our people, our processes, our place, and then also our planning, and we need a practical guide to help us. But also, we are not starting from ground zero. We can borrow the collective knowledge from around the world to make it easier for ourselves to be effective. Finally, geriatric EDs are not just places where the mattresses are soft and the lights are low. There is a lot more to it. So I hope that you have enjoyed hearing from Don and John. Thank you both for being on GEMCAST. It was a pleasure being here, Christina. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. Stay tuned for next time. We have a lot more planned on GEMCAST. I look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of GemCast. You can connect with me on Twitter with the handle at GemPodcast. You can also navigate over to gedcollaborative.com for more resources on the care of older patients.